Hello, I'm Danny Aiken, president of Southeastern Baptist Theological Seminary. We want to thank you for listening to this chapel message. Our mission at Southeastern is to seek to glorify the Lord Jesus Christ by equipping students to serve the church and fulfill the Great Commission. We hope that you enjoy this chapel message and that you will visit our website. It's www.sebts.edu. There you can learn more about our school and what the Lord is doing here. We hope you enjoy the message. Thank you for being a part of what we're doing here. Well, I am really excited to be here with you ladies today. I've had like a few weeks of just whirlwind going and this is like the icing on the cake. And last night, my husband was texting me, a couple of my kids were texting me saying, hey, we're praying for you, we're praying for the ladies out there. Um, And so I'm just thrilled to be able to be here with you. I want you to know my family a little bit. I'm married to my best friend, who is Mike McDaniel. We've been married for 25 years. And yes, we did go climb Mount Kilimanjaro for our 25th wedding anniversary. But you should not hear that like through the lens or through the tone of like, you've got this perfect marriage kind of thing. Like where we are, it took grit, you know what I'm saying? And it took a long time. Um, endurance and patience to get where we are right now in our marriage. We have three kids, so my oldest, my daughter Jordan is married. And if she had said, mom, I want you to pick out, you know, the guy I'm gonna marry and lined up all these guys, I would have picked out the guy she married. That's my son-in-law. And we're actually like in seminary together and I hope we're gonna graduate together because that would just be super cool. I just hope my grade point average is higher than his. And then uh, we have uh, our second son, Caleb. He just graduated from West Point Military Academy. And uh, so he's doing the whole army thing. So I'm learning how to be a military mom. And he likes to remind me this, mom, you are no longer in the chain of command. And so that's kind of our routine there. And then Josh is our youngest. Josh is 17. He just cut off like the beginning of his man bun. And yet he still snuggles up with me every day. He was our kid that was born in Africa while we were there. And so we tell him that he's our African-American. So poor kid. He actually just told me just recently, he said, you know, I thought I was adopted this whole time for a long time. And so working on counseling or, you know, whatever he needs there. And so um, they're really great. So he was born in Africa. And Denise told you that we served for four years in Africa. And we came back, planted a church 15 years ago. So literally 20 years of our 25 years of ministry, 20 of those, we have been on a trajectory in our life, God leading us in places that we never would have picked out for ourselves. It started when my husband was actually in seminary and he went to Ukraine on a mission trip and he came back from there telling me stories. So while he's in the Ukraine back in the day when the walls of communism had just completely crumbled and he's there with his team and they're going around sharing the gospel and the first time he collides with people that he for the first time met someone who had never heard about Jesus Christ and had the opportunity to begin to share with these people. And so people were coming to faith and he's coming back and, and he's telling me these stories and he's sitting on our couch and tears are streaming down his, his face. And I could hear, you know, the richness in his heart. I could see how God had shifted him and what God was doing in him. And I'm sitting there on our couch and I'm holding our firstborn, our three month old, and I'm listening to him. And then he says these words to me, Lori, I think God might be leading our family to go overseas. So I sat there listening to him and looking at him, and I thought, you'll get over it. (laughs) 
I know how these mission trips go, okay? I've been on a mission trip before and I know how they go when you come back. You give it just a little bit of time and you'll kind of come off this high. Besides, I had been on a mission trip to Branson, Missouri before, okay? And we had gone there to tell, don't laugh because people in Missouri need Jesus too. So. We had gone there and we're telling, you know, these kids and doing this camp and we're telling them and I'm the one that's supposed to be teaching. I'm like in the 12th grade in high school and we're supposed to be sharing the gospel with these kids and I don't really have a clue what I'm doing. We're just kind of going through the colors, you know, the gold, the red, the black, the white and so forth. And, and so it's my day to teach on the gold. And so what I did is I got all the kids together and I had this really great idea to teach them the difference between heaven and hell. And so I lined up all the kids across and I took a cigarette lighter and I flicked the little lighter like this and I had each of the kids come and hold their hand over the lighter as long as they could so they could feel how hot it was. And then I had all the little kids go sit back down. And after every child had gone through and held their hand over the flame to see how hot it was, I looked at every kid and I said, now that's what hell feels like. And I know it's going to shock you, but every one of them gave their life to following Jesus Christ that day. I do not endorse that evangelism method whatsoever. I'm hoping that God can redeem my stupidity if he can raise somebody from the dead. But I looked at my life as my husband is sitting there and I'm thinking to myself, I don't fit this paradigm. I don't feel confident in sharing the gospel with someone. Being a pastor's wife, okay, so I was kind of doing that thing, but I didn't see myself as missionary material. I didn't feel like I was smart enough. I didn't feel like I was confident enough. I didn't feel like I knew enough. And yet God began to rearrange in my own thinking, in my, through learning and getting into his word, he began to shift my heart to have a heart for the nations, to have a heart for the world, to go where he was going to show us where he wanted to go. And he brought the marriage of our calling together. God began to do a great work in our marriage and in our life, and it was nothing that we could have planned or prepared for ourselves. While we were busy scrutinizing and planning our life, God was busy over here sculpting and preparing a different path for us. I came across a... uh, a book, it's a classic, Spiritual Leadership by J. Oswald Sanders. And he said this in the book. He said, as he was interviewing this guy, it's not like something, you know, that's getting bold, italicized print inside the book. But as you're reading, it's like tucked in neatly in a paragraph. And he's interviewing this guy who's at the end of his life. And he asked this guy if he had any regrets in his life. And the guy said this one phrase that I have hung with and it has stayed with me. The guy said this, he said, the only regret that I have in my life were moments when I have been insufficiently daring. And that phrase, insufficiently daring, stuck with me. And I began to think back through my own life. When in my life had I been insufficiently daring? And God, what would it look like for me to have a life that were sufficiently daring, to be completely bold, to be completely sold out, in line with what God was doing, looking where he was moving and being able to adjust and shift my life to join him in that, what would that look like for me? And so I began to just go through the scriptures. I began to you know, look up words like you would think, like bold and courageous and so forth. And I just began to flip through how many times through the Old Testament and the New Testament that God had moved weak, small people to do bold and courageous things for him and for his name. So I'm gonna invite you to turn in the book of Acts. Turn to Acts or find it on your phone, scroll through it and find chapter three. 
And what we're going to do is we're going to hang out here in chapter three and chapter four. Now, let me just tell you straight up, I know that that is a lot of text, okay? And so we're not going to like dissect every single word and parse the scripture that's right here. We're not gonna go through all of, all of it, okay? But what we're going to do is we're gonna hang out at about a 30,000 foot level. And we're gonna just take kind of an overview of what is taking place in these two chapters. If we were to back up and to give it context, you could go to the end of Luke and go to the first, you know, the first chapter of Acts and see that Jesus has died, he's resurrected, he's come back to life, he's sitting with his disciples. It says that he, in, the, in the end of Luke that he opened their mind to understand the scriptures, that they were to proclaim his name beginning in Jerusalem. And then he told them in the, in the first chapter of Acts to wait in Jerusalem for the Holy Spirit to come upon them. The Holy Spirit comes upon them like, like tongues of fire and they begin to you know, speak in different languages and people are beginning to understand and hear the gospel and it said that many signs and wonders were done and they're on this like incredible God experience. What happens after you experience God in an amazing way? I'll tell you what happens. Ordinary happens after that. Oswald uh, Chambers says this way, he said, we're not made for the mountains, for sunrises or for the other beautiful attractions in life. Those are simply intended to be moments of inspiration. We are made for the valley and the ordinary things of life. And that is where we have to prove our stamina and strength. And so what I wanna do is we're gonna pick up in chapter three, verse one, and I want you to notice, okay? I want you to begin to notice the routine actually is taking place in the very begin, beginning of these verses. It says this, it says, now Peter and John were going to the temple at the hour of prayer, the ninth hour. And a man lame from birth was being carried whom they laid daily at the gate of the temple that is called the beautiful gate to ask alms of those entering the temple. And seeing Peter and John about to go into the temple, he asked to receive alms. And Peter directed his gaze at him as did John. And they said, hey, look at us. And he fixed his attention on them, expecting to receive something from them. But Peter said, I have no silver and gold, but what I do have, I give to you in the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, rise up and walk. And he took him by the right hand and he raised him up and immediately his feet and his ankles were made strong and leaping and he stood up and he began to walk and entered the temple with them, walking and leaping and praising God. And all the people saw him walking and praising God and recognized him as the one who used to sit at the beautiful gate of the temple asking for alms. And they were filled with wonder and amazement at what had happened to him. How do we live a sufficiently daring life for God? The very first thing is this. I'm gonna give you several things just to hang on to, but here's the first one, is we leverage our everyday ordinary life. If we were to go back to the beginning of this chapter, the very first verses, I love what's taking place here. What's going on is, is this man, this lame man who's been crippled for 40 years, we can see that at the end of the chapter. What's happening is every day, daily, they laid him at the gate. To do what? To get money. From who? From people who happen to be walking by every day going to the temple. What are Peter and John doing? They just had this traumatic Holy Spirit experience, but what are they really doing right here in this chapter? They're doing their religious, habitual Jewish tradition. They're going to the temple at the hour of prayer. Ordinary life is taking place, and yet there was an opportunity to be leveraged in that ordinary life, in their everyday life for God's glory. You know, we get the word moment from the same word that we get the word Adam. Atomos. And if you were to take an atom 
It's so tiny, so small, it could completely almost be overlooked. But if you were also to take an atom, what would happen if you divided it? An atomic reaction, right? You take an atom, divide it, an atomic explosion to which we completely rearrange the landscape around. That's what's happening here. One small moment could have been completely overlooked. You know how it is when you're driving by, right? You see a beggar on the street, you're walking down the city, you see them sitting down. What do we do? Sometimes we give money, but sometimes we just kind of keep going, right? We almost like pretend like we don't see them necessarily. One small moment could be harnessed to change the trajectory of someone's life, and that's what took place here. Ordinary happens in small moments. They could be overlooked, or they could be harnessed and change the trajectory of someone's path. Ordinary happens to normal people. I don't know what it is about being ordinary that we almost feel embarrassed by. Like, we don't really want to be ordinary, right? I mean, we look at somebody else's self-edited social media page, and all of a sudden we're feeling kind of ordinary, inadequate. But look around. I mean, look around you, ladies pretty much all God's got to work with is ordinary, right here. We are ordinary people whom God has saved and sent to participate with him. So let me ask you this question. In your everyday ordinary life, do you have room for God to show up and work in extraordinary ways, or do you have just enough space in your ordinary life for an ordinary God? You know, one that we can calculate, one that we can predict, one that we can explain, or do we look for him in our everyday ordinary life to work in amazing ways. The other day I was coming back on a plane from a few meetings at work and uh, I was sitting on the plane and we're taxiing out to the runway, sitting at the beginning of the runway, the engines are revving up and the guy to my right, he begins to do this. And I look over there and I discern, this guy's Muslim. Within 10 seconds, the guy to my left does this. And I'm thinking, oh my gosh, I, I should like be praying. Maybe I didn't get the memo. You know, the plane's going down or something. You know, it's just kind of an automatic response. I should pray. And I kind of chuckled at myself and I thought, well, maybe I should pray. So I just quickly like prayed for the guy on the right and prayed for the guy on the left that they would come to personal knowledge of Lord, Lord, Jesus, of Lord Jesus Christ. So plane takes off, nothing happened, nothing exploded, no wings fell off. And uh, I get out my book to study. I have homework that's due. And so I'm sitting here and I'm, I'm trying to get some homework done for my assignment that, you know, it's due, it's like due at 11.59 and I'm gonna make it at 11.57, you know, one of those kinds of days, okay? And, um, and I'm sitting here doing, and, and the Catholic guy to my left is really chatty. And he has a Vietnamese accent. And so as I'm like, as he's talking to me and asking me all these questions, I can't, he, I can't understand him very well. And so I'm, I'm constantly like going, huh, what? You know, he's having to repeat it and I'm having to like lean in and look at his lips to understand what he's saying. And he's continuing to talk to me and I'm getting annoyed because I've got a homework assignment that's due at 11.59. And all of a sudden, still small voice of God. He says, Lori, didn't you just pray that these guys would come to know me? So I closed an ouch, right? And so I closed my book and on the cover, like the subtitle says something like interpreting the scripture, interpreting the Bible. And so he says, so do you read the Bible? And I said, well, I do read the Bible. Do you read the Bible? To which he did not answer the question, but instead he said this, well, I've heard that unless I convert to being a Baptist, I'm going to hell. And I thought, well, 
um, I don't know that that, you know, is ne- I'm sorry that you heard that. I don't think that's necessarily true. And we began to have this conversation, a spiritual journey, me asking him questions about his faith. By the end of the plane ride, it wasn't at a point to where he was going to accept Jesus Christ. Pointed him to some scriptures to continue on. Assured him that it wasn't that if he didn't convert to Baptist that he was going to hell. An ordinary moment in my everyday life in which I had things to do to check off my list and yet it was a moment that the Holy Spirit desired to interrupt my normal. The question was, would I be aware and would I leverage my everyday ordinary life to participate in what God was doing around me? Here's the second thing. We need to reject passivity and accept responsibility. If we were to pick up these passages right here in verse 11, let's just continue to read on because the crowd is gathering after what just happened, okay? It says this, it says, while he clung to Peter and John, all the people utterly astounded ran together to them in the portico called Solomon. And when Peter saw it, he addressed the people. What's going on? What did he see? What's it? He saw it, he saw what? He sees a crowd that's gathering now all around. And so when he sees it, He addresses the people, men of Israel, why do you wonder at this and why do you stare at us as though by our power and our piety that we have made him walk? The God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, the God of Jacob, the God of our fathers glorified his servant, Jesus, whom you delivered over and denied in the presence of Pilate when he had decided to release him. But you denied the holy righteous one and asked for a murderer to be granted to you and you killed the author of life whom God raised from the dead. To this we are witnesses. And by his name, by faith in his name, has made this man strong, whom you see and know. And the faith that is through Jesus has given this man perfect health and the presence of all of you. And then he goes on continuing to talk to them. And then he says something in verse 19, which scares us to death to say to anybody around us. He says, repent therefore and turn back, that your sins might be blotted out. Ladies, we have to reject passivity and accept responsibility that we have been given a gospel to declare. Sharing the gospel is not for a few select believers, but it is the responsibility of all disciples. We all have opportunities in our life in which to declare his name. And if you look at your circle of influence and you say, within my circle, I don't know any unbelievers, then you need a bigger circle. You have a message as a believer of Jesus Christ, and you have been saved, and you have been sent out with this message, but quite too often what we do is we end up kind of leaning over into this kind of what I call someday theology. Someday, when I go to seminary, then I will. Someday when I finally graduate seminary, then I will. Someday when I get that job, then I will. Someday when I make enough money, then I will. Someday when I get married, then I will. Someday when I have kids, then I, someday when my kids grow out of the house and they're, and they're off, then I will. Someday when I get older, then I will. Someday when I have my life all figured out, then I will. But let me tell you, life is never going to feel perfect for you to begin to engage in God's mission. Here is this opportunity that Peter had. The people are gathering around because of what had just taken place. And listen to who the crowd is. The crowd are people who had just put Jesus to death. 
That is who Peter is boldly and sufficiently, daringly standing before them. And he's explaining the who, and he's explaining the what, and he's explaining the how. He's explaining that it's the God of Abraham and, and Isaac and Jacob. He's explaining that what happened, you handed him over, you killed him, but God raised him from the dead. He's explaining the, the, the how, that this man walks by faith in this name. He has been made well. We have opportunities to leverage in which we cannot be passive, but we must accept responsibility in the opportunity that we have before us. There was a young lady in my church, her name's Jill, and uh, we were talking about sharing the gospel and she, she said these words, I feel like I need to put God's mission on hold while I have young kids. And I said to her, I said, Jill, I said, I want you to think about where your daughter goes to school. Are there any Hindus in, her, in your daughter's school? And she's like, oh yes, my daughter's really great friends with one. And I said, Jill, because of the age of your children, you have an opportunity to engage people with the gospel. Not an excuse not to. And so you could literally, we could sit here and have conversation, I believe with each one of you. And whatever it is that you think would keep you from participating in God's mission could actually be the very catalyst that, that then puts you forward to participate in his mission. We have opportunities before us. Opportunities to share the gospel are not neatly packaged. We need to be women who are comfortable with messy spiritual diversity. Opportunities to share the gospel are often beautifully unscheduled. However, I'm gonna say this, and, and I realize that even as I'm saying it, I, I'm afraid I'm going to step on someone's toes, someone's toes, but th this is what I fear when I think about where we are as a church sometimes in our women's ministries. I fear that we've become more proficient at decorating tables than we have at sharing the gospel with the people who sit at those tables. Don't go, through, don't go away from here and quote me and say, we can no longer decorate tables in our women's ministry and I shouldn't decorate for Christmas or things. That is not what I'm saying. Make it attractive. Welcome people in. But let's be proficient. Yeah, go to Pinterest and figure out what the perfect thing is to look like on that table. Figure it out. But then have the same boldness, the same tenacity to research if you don't know how to share the gospel, to begin to share the gospel with the people you invite to that table. Let me pause here for a second and, and say this, that I realize that we're at a school. Everywhere I turn, it's go. Everywhere I turn, it's great commission, right? Everywhere, every, maybe every chapel, I don't know. You might even be thinking, oh no, here's another message about like going out and living on mission and living sin, right? And yet I know that sitting in this room right now, Many of you deal with anxiety and brokenness and unforgiveness and you're needing healing and restoration and redemption and freedom. How do I know that? Because I am one. Because I've sat where you're sitting. Because I sit there today, I know what that's like. I know in Psalm 40 when, when, when the psalmist says, I waited patiently for the Lord and I cried out to him as if we don't do that, right? I'm waiting patiently for the Lord. I'm crying out to him. He hears my voice. He draws me out of the pit. Wait, how'd you get out of the pit? Who drew out? He draws me out of the pit. He puts my feet upon a solid rock. He puts a new song in my mouth. Now listen to this. In the midst of the pit, in the midst of all the problems, in the midst of all the struggle, he put a new song in my mouth. The end of verse three says, so that many will see and fear and put their trust in him. Who knows? But 
that the mess that you're in actually becomes the message that God uses to declare through you. So whatever it is in your season of life, let us not reject passivity, let's accept responsibility to participate in what God is doing around us. We move on to chapter four and and we can see that Peter and John are arrested. The religious leaders are annoyed. It says in verse three, then they arrested them and they put them into custody the next day for it was evening. But many of those who heard the word believed. And even while they're in prison, I love this. When we think things aren't working out right. And the number of the men came to about 5,000, those who believed. In verse seven, and when they had set them in the midst, they inquired of them. By what power, I love this question, by what power or by what name did you do this? Then Peter, filled with the Holy Spirit, said to them, rulers of the people and elders, if we are being examined today concerning a good deed done to a crippled man and by what means this man has been healed, then let it be known to you to all of you, to all the people of Israel, that by the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, whom you crucified and whom God raised from the dead, by him, this man is standing before you well. This Jesus is the stone that was rejected by you, the builders, which has become the cornerstone. And there is, you know it, salvation in no one else. For there is no other name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved. Ladies, you wanna live sufficiently daring, bold, courageous life? Here's the third thing. Maintain perspective of whose name is on the line. Maintain perspective of whose name is on the line. You wanna be a great leader? You wanna be a great mom, a great missionary, a great writer, a great counselor, a person of great influence? Then this is what you must do. You must keep the why at the epicenter of everything it is that you do. If we were to look back and we were to like dive into Acts chapter three, verse 11 through 26, everything that Peter's doing right here, he's like walking them through the Old Testament. He's like unlocking and untangling the mystery of this story for them so that they can begin to understand it. You know why I think Peter is doing this? Because just a month and a half before, after Jesus had died and resurrected, he stood before, the, before his disciples in Luke chapter 24. He stood before them and, and they think they see a ghost and he shows them his hands and he shows them his feet. And matter of fact, he asked them for fish because he was hungry. I don't know what it is about fish. Maybe after you resurrect from the dead, you need protein or something. I don't know, okay? But he's asking them for their fish and he begins to eat it. And then he begins to say this in Luke chapter 24. He said to them, these are my words that I spoke to you while I was still with you that everything written about me. Now listen, he's going through the Old Testament in the law of Moses and the prophets and the Psalms must be fulfilled. And then he opened their minds to understand the scriptures that Christ should suffer three days later, rise from the dead, and that repentance and forgiveness should be proclaimed in his name to all nations, beginning in Jerusalem, right where they were. Jesus is having a Bible study with them. Would you not have liked to have been there then? He's like going through the prophets and the Psalms and the Old Testament and he's like untangling it for them. I think it sounded something like this. I think if I were, you know, if, uh, if, if I was sitting there, I think this is how I imagine it would have been. Like Jesus is asking them questions. So guys, do you know why you were created? Flip over, open the scroll to Isaiah um, chapter 46, verse three. It says this, it says that God created you for his glory. 
Now once you open the scroll, go over to Exodus. Exodus. Remember that story that your grandma used to tell you about how the Israelites left Egypt and, and Moses led them out and how God raised up Pharaoh. Why did he raise up Pharaoh? For this purpose I have raised you up, God said, to show you my power that my name may be proclaimed in all the earth. Remember when the Israelites like crossed into the promised land and Joshua's leading them and they come to the river and, and the waters dry up. Why did God drop the water? So their tacos wouldn't get wet? No, it says this, it says in Joshua, for the Lord your God drive the water so that all the peoples of the earth may know that there is a God, the Lord is mighty and that there is a God in Israel. Why did David cut off Goliath's head? He said, this is, I'm gonna cut off your head so the nations will know that there is a God in Israel. You see the pattern here? That it is about his name and he's unfolding it to his disciples. He's like, look, I've been about this all along of making my name known and now, what is written is that Christ must die, be resurrected, forgiveness of sins will be proclaimed in my name to all nations beginning right where you're at. Right where you are. We had gone with a team to Nepal. And uh, you know how that goes when you get together the mission team and all the little nuances that come together with it and all the logistics and so forth. Well, as we get, we're getting ready to go, um, there was no fuel in the country. And so we're having to decide, are we gonna go or are we gonna stay? We know if we we're gonna get over there and the planes weren't gonna fly out anymore. And so we decide, you know what, let's go. And so we get over there and we go about doing whatever it is that we're doing. We have different assignments every day, just like when you go on a mission trip, what do you wanna know? What are we going to do, right? And so that's what we do. We're asking these questions, what are we doing today? And, you know, and the next day, what are we doing today? Well, one of those days we walked out to where, an earthquake, where the earthquake had destroyed um, this area and many people had lost their lives. And um, humanitarian work had gone in and, and um, had you know, given, uh, different, met different people's needs and so forth. And so because of the humanitarian work that had taken place, a church was planted there. And we went out to this church on the side of this mountain, in the middle of nowhere, bamboo structure. And we're sitting there, we're worshiping and the ladies are worshiping in their language and, and we're clapping along and, and they're praying and they're singing. And all of a sudden, this lady comes to get me. And she says, you need to come back over here to the back and you need to pray for this lady who is demon possessed. And I always feel like I have to like sanitize these kind of stories, I don't know what it is about, you know, we can read about these things in the scripture, demon possession and healings and so forth, but when we actually experience them, it, it almost feels like uncomfortable with our theology somewhat. So we go back there and this, this woman's like thrashing about on, on the ground and, and we're all trying to, you know, discern what's best to do. The team comes back there and, and um, they're saying, you need to pray, she's demon possessed, you need to pray, you need to pray. And I'm thinking, you know, you get the pastor. <laughs> And the team comes back and we're standing around there. And we do what Americans do when you encounter something that you don't know how to put it in your neat package box. We kind of... Maybe she's dehydrated. It's may have a water bottle, you know. I think somebody actually said, you know, maybe she's having a diabetic, maybe she's diabetic, she needs a piece of candy. And, and so finally, as we kind of all get into, you know, listening to what's going on and looking at, at the people who are gathering, we just, you know, begin to pray for this woman, in Jesus' name, a crowd begins to gather around. People who had not been at church, people who are unbelievers. 45 minutes is going by, we're reading scripture, we're praying, and I found myself thinking, oh dear God, we are putting your name on the line. Right now, with all these people who pray just not to you, we are putting your son's name, Jesus Christ, claiming power in his name to heal this woman. God, we are putting your name on the line. 
I begin to think, oh dear God, you've gotta work. You've gotta show up and you've gotta work. For about 45 minutes, this lady just, she sets up. It wasn't anything dramatic. She just sets up, as it says in Mark of a guy who is healed from demon possession, as if she were in her right mind. And that's what took place. And I begin to think through that situation. It wasn't the what that we went to go do. God was about the why of making his name known. We just happened to show up in the right place at the right time, led by God to participate in what he was doing. And people around saw this. It wasn't something we prepared for. It wasn't something we planned for. It was an opportunity that we stepped in and we were putting his name on the line. When we lead women to understand that this entire biblical narrative, we begin to lead people to understand it through the lens of God's missional imperative, then what begins to happen is we begin to lead people to not just believe in the Great Commission, but actually believe they are commissioned and being sent out. Here's the last thing that I wanna move us to. It's this, in order to live sufficiently daring is we must tether our confidence to the power of the Holy Spirit at work within us. We must tether our confidence to the power of the Holy Spirit at work within us. Here these guys are, they've been arrested, And now in chapter four, actually they've been released, but they've been told not to go and declare this name anymore. To which Peter and John are like, they're like, you know, they're they're saying, well, we can't like keep our mouth shut. We can't help but speak of the things that we have seen and heard in verse 20. And then verse 23, it says, when they were released, they went to their friends and reported what the chief priests and the elders had said. What did they do? They got back together with the believers. This is my favorite part right here in both of these chapters put together. And when they people had heard it, they lifted their voices together to God and they began to pray. But if you skip down to verse 29, this is, listen to their prayer. It wasn't like, get us out of this mess. It wasn't for protection. It wasn't like God hide us so the people can't find us. 29, and now Lord, look upon their threats and grant to your servants to continue to speak your word with what? Boldness while you continue to stretch out your hand to heal and do signs and wonders are performed through the name of your holy servant, Jesus Christ. And when they had prayed, the place in which they were gathered together was shaken and they were filled with the Holy Spirit and they continued, they continued to speak the word of God with boldness. A few years ago, there was something that happened that rocked my world. I was sitting in a little cramped space in a country in South Asia. We're sitting on a dirt floor covered with tarps and 15 women are sitting in this room and they're gathered together and they're encouraging one another and there's three of them can read. And so they're like searching the scriptures and they're asking difficult questions and they're teaching one another and they're mentoring one another. And then they would worship and then they would sing and then they would pray like long time, like Americans were going, okay, is it lunchtime? Yeah, and they're continuing on and on and on. And I'm thinking as I'm sitting there, this is rich, this is good. This is the way it ought to be. And then they began to do something else. A month prior to my coming, to where they were a month prior to this gathering, they had done this. They had challenged each one to go over the next month and to share their faith with 30 people each. And so what they began to do in this women's gathering is they literally began to go one by one. 
And one person would say, so I went out and I shared the gospel with you know, 10 people and five people came to Christ and three people were healed and, and it, they would continue to go on. And so I, so I began to tally up and I began to calculate in my journal how many people that they had shared the gospel with. These 15 women in one month shared the gospel with 224 people. And I sat there nodding my head You know, they're looking at me for affirmation and I'm nodding my head like, yes, this is good. Yes, this is right. And on the inside, I'm feeling a little bit spiritually embarrassed because what I know is this isn't my normal. Why isn't it my normal? Why why is it that we're not gathering together to proclaim and give testimony what God had done outside when we gather together inside and yet they had held each other accountable to declaring the glory of God. It should be our normal to have daring accountability with one another. We must love the glory of God being declared out there more than we love gathering together in here. Can I say that again? We must love the glory of God being declared out there more than we love the gathering together in here. Because when God begins to infiltrate our strategies and our women's ministries, in our leading, in our counseling, in our families, in our living, then everything that we do is leveraged for the purpose of being sent out. Wife of Archbishop, she said this once, I've like got it written on a bulletin board in my, my office. It says, the frontiers of the kingdom of God were never advanced by men and women of caution. I want to be so bold and so daring that my words, when I hear what God is doing, no matter if there's persecution taking place, no matter if there's problems taking place, no matter if I can't figure out what the plan is, no matter if I don't even know what the straight path is, that my prayer is this, oh dear God, continue to speak your word with all boldness. Do mighty things. Fill us with the Holy Spirit and let us continue to speak of you with boldness. Ladies, let us leverage our every day, ordinary life by rejecting passivity and accepting responsibility that we are to make his name known. It is the why behind everything that we do. And let us tether our confidence to the power of the Holy Spirit who is at work within us. God, I thank you for these ladies. God, May we never get bored hearing about a mission, about a movement that you're about and making your name known. God, may we never get bored with it, but may we participate in it. God, I wanna be a part of something bigger than myself, greater than myself. God, let us be sufficiently daring. Let us live our life leveraging our everyday normal around us, God. God, I pray that you would fill us with your boldness. God, let us be daring and hold each other accountable, God, for the works that you are doing in us and through us and around us. God, fill us with your spirit. May your name be great because the ladies in here have made your name known to others. In Jesus' name, amen. 
Thank you again for listening to this chapel message from Southeastern Baptist Theological Seminary. If you are thinking about theological education on the undergraduate or graduate level, including doctoral studies, we hope that you consider us. If you also find these chapel messages encouraging and a blessing to your walk with Christ, we hope that you will consider financially supporting Southeastern. Our graduates are literally serving the kingdom across this globe, working to carry the gospel of Jesus Christ to a lost, dying world. Your gifts will help to train more, and they will serve as a worthwhile investment in God's kingdom. You can find more information about attending Southeastern or supporting us financially at www.sebts.edu. We cover your prayers and trust that God will bless every good work you do for His glory. Thank you for joining us in our chapel services.